Um, about 40-odd um, uh, years ago, I uh, underwent the process of being radicalized. Ooh, there's a big statement for you. Some of you who were here last week remember that Steve um, spoke to us about radicalization, and this is the second bit, but it's, um, it's completely and utterly tied into this incredible Easter good news story. As um, a kid of seven years old, I was invited by my sister, who's a lot older than me, to um, go to something like a holiday club. It was called Vacation Bible School. Ooh, check me out at seven years old. Um, and uh, at this Vacation Bible School, and I'd grown up through the church, and I, I loved all of that stuff. I, was, I just figured God liked people. That was the impression I got. And um, when I reached seven years old, I went to this uh, VBS, it was called, in Shefford, in Bedfordshire, where my sister and her husband were living. And um, someone stood at the front of this little classroom we were in and just said, hey, um, some of you, you might like Jesus to be like another best friend in your life. And I was like, well, that's cool, because you could always do with lots of friends. So I'm going to go for that. And so this whole process of me kind of adopting this other way to be started to happen. And then there was my youth workers, Rob and Daphne Young. Great names for youth workers. Daphne doesn't sound like the cool youth worker who stands in the cool clothes. But Rob and Daphne were amazing. And they told me that following Jesus meant being bothered about justice and poverty and people who were homeless and the people who were excluded. And in time, I realized that something was going on inside of my head that meant that I was thinking different things to other people around me. And my mum modeled this completely other way of being. She would just invite people in to stay with us who needed somewhere to stay, young people or have loads of people back for lunch and all this stuff. I was radicalized. I was radicalized to a different way of being. Radicalization, the process by which an individual or a group comes to adopt political, social, or religious ideals that are different, that reject contemporary ideas. We always hear the word radicalization and think about Muslim extremists. But I think that every single one of us, without even realizing it, has been radicalized in some way, shape, or form. I think all of us, in some weird way, have been radicalized into accepting certain norms. Here's just a few. That anger is sometimes justifiable. That gaining wealth is okay at any cost. That greed is great. That bigger is always better. That more is always mightier. That violence is okay. That revenge is always mine to take. 
that it's okay to be homophobic or racist or sexist. Radicalized into a set way of thinking. Um, I don't know if you caught much of the news this week, um, but obviously the tragedy of what happened in Brussels and the tragedy of what happened the week before in Ankara and the tragedy of what happened way back in November in Paris. And I got thinking about Donald Trump and some of the things that he has said. See, many people, many of us, have been radicalized into this myth about redemptive violence. And Donald Trump, following P Paris, said that it would have been so much different if everyone had been carrying guns. And then this week, he talked about the mess that Brussels was in. Tragically, that voice is being heard. Tragically, the voice about the myth of redemptive violence. But I want to suggest this to us. Violence is a dead end. And the only thing it knows is how to repeat itself. This morning on Radio 4, they reported something that Tony Blair had said. I don't know, did anyone else hear about the Tony Blair thing today? Where he has spoken up today and said, the only solution is to crush them. The myth of redemptive violence. In Steve's book, Radical, which I recommend to you, it's a great book, Steve talks about about an example from last year. Do you remember the massacre at San Bernardino? Do you remember when that happened and all those lives were lost? And there's a guy called Jerry Falwell Jr. His dad, Jerry Falwell, was the boss of the religious um, evangelical right in the States. And he stood up at Liberty University. Liberty University is a Christian university. And he said this to a packed audience of students. I've always thought that if more people had concealed to carry permits for guns, then we could end those Muslims before they walked in. Well. And he went on to say, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna offer you a free course in how to get that permit. Tragically, so many, so many people believe in violence. A friend of mine said this just the other day, when we live by the sword, the hope of transformation dies by the sword. When we live by the sword, the hope of transformation dies by the sword. I, uh, I, I love watching Hustle. Has anyone seen Hustle? You know, that really cool program about getting your own back on people, basically. Um, but there's this thing, uh, I don't know if you've heard this expression, a tell, an indication 
of what's really going on, like a, uh, like a hint of what's really there, a tell, an indication of what was um, going to happen was there all along, like a little, little uh, kind of wink at you. And I just want to help us understand that this incredible story of Easter, there was a tell right from the earliest of days that this was going to be the story. I don't know how many of you have been really good over Lent. The chocolate that you binged on this morning was because you gave it all up over Lent, or maybe it was wine or whatever it was. But I want to take us back to the story in the story of Jesus where he enters the desert and is tempted. Jesus is fully human and fully divine. He's been baptized by John. He's kind of going public on who he is. And then he spends a long period of time in the desert being tempted. And what really matters is what happened there because it really matters because of what happens on the cross and it really matters because of the resurrection. And the first thing that Jesus is tempted to is to turn stones to bread. Do you remember? He said, like, if you really are who you say you are, turn these stones to bread. It's a temptation to be relevant. Jesus was hungry. To turn stones into bread was like the quick fix. Come on, you can do this. You're hungry. Just do this. It will be easy. You'll be sorted. It was a temptation to a quick fix and an easy route and an easy path. And Jesus replies, by bread. And the second temptation was to worship Satan. And if he did that, everything that he could see, he was taken to a height and everything that he could see would be his. It's a temptation to power, a temptation to look down on everything else. It's a temptation to scale and size. All of this can be yours. And that's what power often looks like, isn't it? It's about scale and it's about size and it's about looking down on others and oppressing others and making them do what you think they should do. And it's actually about being remote from the people that you are with. And Jesus says, no. And then the third one, throw yourself down. Do something amazing. Be spectacular. Have a platform of fame. Be really well known. You will be a social media sensation. You will have hits galore if you do this. The temptation to be spectacular. To do the thing that everyone else wants you to do. But when you do that, you remove yourself from the responsibilities 
of relationships because you exist on the platform. Relevance, power, and being spectacular. This is all about the resurrection. Everything is a tell. It's a tell for a different story. There's a tell in here about a different agenda. There's a tell about a different way. And it's a way that is costly. And it's a way that is unpopular. And it's a way that is unattractive. And it is a way to be radicalized too. And the tell continues and we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And these words come out of Jesus' mouth. Love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Go the extra mile. Forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. Turn the other cheek. None of, this isn't a metaphor. This is really real. The stuff that Jesus is saying is real. It's about real life. It's about being radicalized to a different agenda, a different story. And it is all about the resurrection. It's about when your whole body is screaming out, no. It's about when every bit of who you are longs for revenge. It's about when every ounce of your energy wants to be put towards hating the one who is hating on you. It's when your whole body is screaming out, reject me and I will reject you. It's when your whole body is screaming, you try and kill me and I will come back stronger and bigger and I will kill you. But the tell continues. The tell continues and it is a different story to that one. Jesus stands up and he announces the Beatitudes. Statements about what the future will be like. Blessed are the peacemakers. These were a curse on present values. As Jesus went through every one of the statements of the Beatitudes, as he announces them to this ragbag crowd of people, of mishmash of everything, he says to them, the future is going to be about you. It is going to be about you. When everything in you is screaming revenge, when everything in you wants to fight back, when everything in you is against the people who are against you, Jesus says, this is how it will be. Because there's a day coming, and this is the tell. The hint is there all along. A friend of mine um, called Matt Valor, who a bunch of us know, um, and some know really well, he says, 
Uh, he's written these Beatitudes down in a different way. And he said this, Here come the depressed. They own the future. Here come the grieving. They will be comforted. Here come the enslaved. They will have the whole earth. Here come the ones who are starved of justice. They will be filled. Here come the gracious. They will be shown grace. Here come the uncorrupted. They will see God. Here come the peacemakers. They will be protected. Here come the oppressed. They own the future. Here you come, you oppressed, you wrongly accused. Take heart. They did this to your heroes whose ghosts will not die. They are statements about the future. They are statements about the resurrection. They are statements about Easter Day. They're all a tell. All of it is a tell of a different way. And we come to the cross. The cross, which is the mechanism of the superpower of the day to keep people in line. To keep people in line with their set of values to keep people in line with their set of beliefs. And Jesus speaks into that context, and his words were subversive, and his words were dangerous, and that's why they had to kill him, because he rejected the status quo, and he radicalized people to love and not to hate, and he radicalized people against the system, not just the Romans, but the temple system as well, because he was the temple system. And on the cross, instead of fighting back, he absorbed the violence. And on the cross, he took the blows. And on the cross, he broke the cycle and said, it is never about crushing them. It is about absorbing it all. And it stops here, and it is finished. Oh, well, I'm pleased about that. Luke 24, the bit that Steve read to us. See, the tell has been there all along. The tell has been there. And Jesus' followers are like, where? Everything he said? What? So the women, the women go to the tomb. Because they want to go and do what's right. And they discover he's not there. That the tell was true. That it always was this. That it always was a different story. That the resurrection was always so much more than a metaphor. The empty cross announces that love wins. That everything that Jesus said is true. That every work of death can be defeated. Like injustice and child abuse 
and human trafficking and every other evil under the sun. The empty cross announces that hope does spring eternal. That creation is being made new and that's about you and me as well as our communities and well as, as well as our world. The empty cross announces that violence always will lose. The empty cross announces that light is what dispels the darkness. Death terrifies us, but when death is defeated, we live in the light of the resurrection. And so we terrify death. We terrify death. We can terrify death. See, the resurrection is so much more than a metaphor. It was and is an invitation. It's an open door. It was and is a will you walk this road to. Will you walk this road radicalized by love? In Matthew uh, 28, verse 20, another account at the, uh, of the resurrection, um, there's this great uh, piece where G Jesus is uh, speaking to his disciples, and he basically says, obey everything I've commanded. Obey everything I've commanded. See, sometimes we overcomplicate it, don't we? The resurrection is an invitation to obey everything that Jesus commanded. An invitation to welcome the stranger. The Pope this week chooses to wash the feet of Muslim refugees and the world looks up and notices. Or think back to the story of Gandhi, who walks the road much less traveled by and led a nation by saying, absorb the blows. Violence doesn't pay. The resurrection is all about all things being made new, you and me. It's about us being people that choose to give love rather than inflict terror, about bringing hope to people rather than us generating fear. It's about offering forgiveness rather than taking revenge. It's about absorbing violence rather than us administering pain. And this is on small scale, this is one-to-one, -one. this is about you and me, and it's also on big-scale stuff. It's us choosing to give love, to bring hope, to offer forgiveness, and to absorb violence. The mother of one of the victims of the Brussels um, attacks this week, in stark contrast to this crush them thing that was talked about today, said this, talk of retribution 
does nothing but benefit ISIS. A mother who lost her daughter says, it does nothing, this talk of retribution. The resurrection is an invitation to radicalization, to love. It was Martin Luther King who said this, when evil men plot, good men must plan. When evil men bomb and burn, good men must build and bind. When evil men shout ugly words of hatred. Think of those slides I showed you right at the start. When evil men shout ugly words of hatred, good men must commit themselves to the glories of love. After the sadness of believing that Jesus was dead. Jesus meets his followers. Jesus, the fullness of God, and says, obey everything I've commanded. Everything. Not revenge or hate or exclusion, but love. The resurrection is an invitation to courage, to creativity, and to love. The resurrection is evidence of God putting everything back into place, everything being made whole, including you and me. In Luke 24, it says the words, the, the women encounter uh, this moment by the tomb. And it just says these words, and then they remembered. What did they remember? They remembered the tell. They remembered all the things that Jesus had said, all the things he had done. The tell. They got it. They got what it was. They put the pieces back together. They put the pieces back together. And it literally changed everything. This is a piece of poem from a South American poet. And it is so profound. Accompany us then on this vigil, and you will know what it is to dream. You will then know how marvelous it is to live threatened with resurrection. To dream awake, to keep watch asleep, to live while dying, and to already know oneself resurrected. The resurrection of Jesus is evidence that death has lost its sting. That love is the way it's meant to be. That crush them and kill them and get your own back on them has lost its power. The resurrection is the invitation for us to live our lives radicalized by the love of Jesus. Then 
they remembered his words. Obey everything I have commanded. 